0: Okay. Good morning, everybody. I'm on the mic, and hopefully everybody can hear me. I'll try not to get too scratchy with my jacket against the mic and not boom into the mic either. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Alan Bobo. i um, been here what, about 13 years, coming up in 13 years, 12 years, 12 years, I think it's 12 years, been a while. Yeah, we got here summer of 2010. Um, I'm prior military, uh, spent about 25 years in the Air Force, and so a lot of my experience in preparing classes, um, it kind of came about through my military experience because there were a lot of times that we would come into a church um, and we would just kind of fall in and have a great time, and then I'd be asked to teach, and I would have to come up with something. I came up with two classes um, primarily through military doctrine and military teaching. One is called the Art of War, which I just taught to the kids downstairs in the teens class. I'm happy to share that with anybody who'd like to to have notes on that. This class that I'm going to teach up here is kind of the follow on piece of that. I, as I was going through um, uh, War College, we had an opportunity to examine how the U.S. actually looks at warfare and how the U.S. figures out how it's going to get all of the disparate parts of the militaries to work together as a team. Teamwork being the key thing. This was, uh, I did an analysis on uh, the debacle called Desert One, where Carter tried to go in and rescue uh, the Iranian hostages and how that fell apart and how the joint staff basically came out of that. I did not anticipate the events going on in Russia and Ukraine when I prepared this class almost 20 years ago, or 15 years ago. I certainly didn't have thoughts of this being going on today as I told uh, Ricky that this is what I was going to teach. Um, the events in, in Ukraine are uh, very near and dear to my heart, uh, primarily my brother's wife is moving her family, her mother and father, from Kharkov, Kharkov, Kharkiv, the westernmost city or the easternmost city in, uh, in Ukraine. They're moving them now today. Um, they were finally had enough pause in the shelling that's going on and all the destruction that's going on. Uh, So Nadia, my sister-in-law, wrote me and said that um, her parents have decided to risk it, Uh, they are escaping from Kharkov and getting on a train this morning. Uh, A school friend of hers from Ukraine took them to the the railroad and put them on the train, so they are now uh, on their way from Kharkov to Lviv. It's a day and a half ride across Ukraine on a train packed with other uh, war refugees, so you can just imagine what that's like. Uh, They'll land to Lviv and then change transportation. Uh, It's about a a day, day and a half, wait at the Polish border. When they get to the Polish border, they have to cross over, and then they'll have to find transportation across Poland. Uh, They have have been uh, in... uh, They're so exhausted already after 10 days of war. Um, Her city is being bombed heavily. Uh, All electricity and natural gas and water has been shut down because of the fighting. Uh, And the temps right now are just hovering above freezing. So you can only imagine what this is like for two people who are close to 80 years old. One has diabetes, one has thrombosis of the veins, and is is barely able to walk. For them to abandon everything that they've had and and flee the city, you can only imagine what um, is going on in in Kharkov. So if you don't mind, I would like to open uh, with a word of prayer, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have Father, the blessings that you have bestowed upon us as a nation is incredible and uh, hard for us to put in context, given everything that's going on in the world. But Father, we are aware of the things that are happening in Ukraine and Russia. We know your hand is involved in all things on this planet, Father. And we ask at this time that you would uh, be with those who are trying to to flee this, uh, all the the fighting that's going on, just the the, the nightmare. And the horde that's descended upon this country, Father, we ask that you would be with them. Strengthen those who are staying, be with those, and help them across as they flee. Allow the nations around us, Father, to gather up and rise up against this evil. Uh, We just do not understand uh, what is going on. We know your purpose is involved in this, Father, but we can't see it at this point. We just ask, Father, for your strength, wisdom, and, and compassion as this unfolds. how to fight because satan knows exactly how to fight against us so given that please understand that i am only using this military setting as a way to help us frame what the bible has already taught us and how to put things in perspective with that in mind i wanted to start off with a quick story Uh, 1941 there was a, a general Leslie Groves, and a physicist, Robert Oppenheimer. And they had a very huge challenge in front of them. There was a war going on. There were more things at stake than anybody could ever imagine. Because at that time, there was something that people whispered in dark corners. It was called a nuclear weapon. They knew a nuclear weapon could be built, but they didn't know how to do it at that time. 1941, they knew they were getting close But they didn't know how close the other countries were in developing this nuclear power. So at that point, Robert Oppenheimer and the entire United States government dedicated thousands of people, thousands of the brightest minds that they could find, and billions, and I say B with a billion, back then it was billions of dollars, dedicated to harnessing the power of nuclear weapons. Because America knew whoever cracked that code first Would ultimately dominate the world for the next 100, 200, 300 years, possibly forever. The atomic weapon was the most important thing that the United States had to figure out. More important than the war against Germany and how they were going to strategize and how to figure out stuff there, or even the Pacific, which had just started. The purpose of that is something called objective. In military parlance, objective is simply knowing what it is you are trying to do. My dad used to tell me, it's hard to remember that your intent was to drain the swamp when you're up to your belt loops in alligators. And the point there is, if you don't know what you're trying to do, you can easily get distracted. You can easily start focusing and and turning your attention and your energy to things that are not important. And so, as we look at this, I want to kick this off with, what is our objective? What should be the most important thing for us as Christians? And I want to take that in two parts. The first part is what should be our most important objective as an individual? Show of hands. Who knows what your single most important objective as a Christian, as an individual Christian, should be? Say it. Shout it out. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being, staying, becoming a Christian, and living the Christian life. How important is that? Ricky? How important is it? That should be our top priority. And so important that Ricky makes a point of putting that in his lessons every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, Ricky footstomps that key piece. Because that should be our objective as an individual. Now, if you read through Scripture, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to put this together. And I use that to refer to our good friends who built the, uh, the atomic weapon. If you look at Old Testament, Genesis 4, 3 through 7, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering. That's the first time that we have a note that something was looked upon by God as more favorable than something else. Why was Abel's sacrifice more important or or more favorable than Cain's? Abel did what God told him to do. But I think there's a little more to it. Cain did what Abel, Cain did also do what God told him to do. But who did it with heart? Who did it with their whole dedication? Who put that as their first objective? Was Cain thinking about the sacrifice when he brought his fruit to God? Not really. A little bit. There was some intent there. He he gathered it, he brought it, and he said it before the Lord. Abel took the best that he had, and he brought that to the world. And that's the distinction that Genesis is teaching us in this particular verse. If you don't put God as your first objective, if you just put God as something that you want to do, you are treating God like the alligators and not the most important thing that you're there to do. Abel wasn't distracted by things around him. Abel stayed focused. The Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt Out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other God before me. That doesn't sound like something that we can kind of mess with. I hate to use the word ultimatum, but it sounds like God is very serious about how we look at and build our relationship with God. Should we have anything that distracts us from that? We shouldn't. Can we get distracted from that? Remember that adversary I told you, Satan? If our number one objective as individuals should be to worship God, what is Satan's number one objective? To stop us from doing that, to find us, to distract us, to get us focused on things that are not important, to take our mind from the mindset of Abel and turn us into a bunch of canes. Is that easy for him to do? Sadly, yes. How does Satan know how to distract us? Confusion. Absolutely. Do you think there's confusion going on in Ukraine right now? Do you think Putin is trying to create confusion in Ukraine right now? Unfortunately, that is the backdrop I'll probably use in a couple of these classes, because right now Putin is presenting himself as the incarnate version of what we, the church, are fighting. He is using military weapons, military forces, military strategy to overcome a very, very resilient, a very resourceful country known as Ukraine. We'll watch this play out because Putin is going to do everything he can. And you will again, it's, it's classic military doctrine, but it's military doctrine because it's how people fight. We are humans. We have to think like humans think. And Satan knows exactly how humans think. He knows how people work. And we're going to see Satan array his forces against us specifically as if a human opponent would. And it's not because Satan is human. Don't get me wrong Satan is cunning, Satan is wily, Satan is capable of doing a lot of things. But Satan's opponent is us. Right? Satan's opponent is the church. Humans fighting other humans is no different than when Satan is trying to distract us. Satan is trying to sow confusion. Satan is the adversary, but we, the church, are the army that's going to be fielded against him. And so God has put down some very careful words in the Scripture to help us understand how to organize ourselves. I love Ricky's stomping every day because as a christian what is the single most important part and i say single most with just a little bit of a caveat there's several steps in there but if we had to say what is the turning point what is the time when a person steps forward and says i am now dedicating my life to christ what do we call that What is that act baptism amen Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. He is both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise of you and to your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That is a turning point. That's a a point where you, you plant your flag. If you've ever seen World War II movies and they plant the flag in Iwo Jima, that's when a person says, this is now who I am. I am putting this on. I'm putting on this uniform. I'm putting on Christ in baptism. As an individual, that becomes a pivotal moment. As a church... It's a little more than that. How is the church involved in baptism? Absolutely. How do people know that baptism is essential? How do they know that baptism is something that needs to be done? How do they know that that's what turns you into becoming a Christian instead of becoming a person of the world without teaching? Does the church have a role in... Teaching. Does Satan know the church has a role in teaching? Does Satan want to stop teaching? Okay, enough said. That's that's how we line this up. We know Satan wants to stop certain things. Satan wants to confuse us. Satan wants to cause fear and doubt, anger and humiliation in Christians individually. In this class, I want to focus on how those two things work together, and how the church can come together collectively. Individually, we will have a hard time facing Satan. Individually, Satan has the opportunity to divide, isolate, and corner us into a place where we think we have no hope, where we have no chance. Collectively, we as a congregation have each other. God knows this. The country of Ukraine right now has a tremendous asset. That asset is everybody else. All the other nations are coming to Ukraine's aid. And so as we start looking at how others work, how other people help, other people are striving to help Ukraine. Other Christians will help Christians who are in trouble, Christians who are being attacked, Christians who right now Satan has come forward and put pressure against them, the body of Christ can rise up and help defend that individual. Because once we're baptized, Ricky has another point in his lesson, after we're baptized, what is the next step? Live faithful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be fulfilled. So as individuals, and I'm going to shift from preach mode just a minute into teach mode, because I don't want want this to be a teaching or a preaching session. I I like interaction, and this class definitely, hopefully, will generate some, some good conversation. After we plant the flag as Christians and become baptized, being Christians is the next step. Abiding in Christ, that is the next step. That's how we are to live our lives. That can be an amazingly rewarding experience. Unfortunately, Satan is going to do everything he can to undermine that rich, rewarding experience. He is going to do everything he can to force us to feel frustrated. He's going to make us feel like, unfortunately, the people in Ukraine, that there is no hope, that, that being, being in this isn't worth it. Being a Christian just is not worth the pain and the agony that's going to be heaped upon you. And so now the challenge is, how do we as a church recognize that adversarial engagement? And how do we as a church rally together and help ensure that everybody is taken care of? As I mentioned, the US military had a problem back in the early 60s, 70s and into the early 80s, they didn't know how to fight together. The Army did things the Army way, the Air Force did things the Air Force way. Marines and Navy had their own way of doing things. And independently, they were a great force. Independently, they were capable of doing really cool things. But unfortunately, When they had to come together and fight together, they didn't know how to get along. They didn't know how to communicate. They didn't know how to express objective. They didn't know how to even do simple things like explain what each of the service's unique needs were. Until the DOD Department of Defense created a joint unit that said, you guys have to figure this out. God fortunately, knows how we work, knows what we need as a church. and God has prepared a lot of things for us to understand. And the most important thing is unity. How many times has unity preached in the gospel? More than a few? So God knows that unity is the number one thing that will help the congregation, as a congregation, accomplish what God's objective is. So, In that context, I want to ask a question, has anybody heard the difference between what is urgent and what is important. Okay, what's the difference between urgency and importance. Yes.
1: Urgent things. are kind of the things that are like right in your face they don't necessarily have to be important but because of i guess procrastination or some type of sudden change um, are going to have a immediate impact on you if you don't do something about it um things that are important uh are things that are more foundational um things that are are, are necessary um uh that if ignored um, are going to undermine you as well. So um, those are ideally are the things that you wanna focus on the important things um, and important things if if, uh, put off can become (laughs) urgent.
0: Absolutely. So urgent, urgent things are things that are driven by situation. I'm hungry. Am I always hungry? Not really, but if I'm really, really hungry, It's hard for me to focus on other things because that has now taken priority in my brain. Fire. The church is, Lord willing, very seldom on fire, but do we have a way to get out of the church if that were to occur? Yes, a fire is an urgent situation, but it's not something that I'm going to worry about on a daily basis because as long as I have met the important thing, which is dealing with and understanding what to happen if a fire occurs, I no longer have to worry about that. The church has important business. The church also has urgent business that it has to deal with. As a congregation, we have to be able to understand the difference between urgent and important. And exactly like you said, as long as we focus on the important, the urgent become less compelling. Here's a story about that. Fortunately, it's a very easy one to follow in Acts. Acts 6, chapter, Acts chapter 6 verses 1-4. through 4. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the day of distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out among you seven men of God, Seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who may have a point over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to the prayer and to the ministry of the Word. What was urgent? Important was teaching the gospel, making sure that people understood what God's message was. What was urgent? People were hungry, right? There were people that were there were widows and orphans who weren't being taken care of. Now, in a congregation, is there going to be a certain number of widows and orphans who need help? Absolutely. In a congregation, is it important to teach the word? Can these two sometimes conflict? Yes. Does Satan want those two to conflict? absolutely will satan cause multiple instances like this to conflict yes because that has how satan causes division that's how satan breaks things down he causes important to get lost because of urgent we as a congregation have the recipe on how to prevent this from happening just like the joint staff figured out how to keep important and urgent things focused in the military services By focusing on objective, by listing the important thing first, we as a congregation can say, look, the important thing is teaching the Word. But in teaching the Word, we have to be rational and understand there are urgent things that come up as well. Do we have a way of dealing with urgent things? How do we deal with urgent things in the church? Prayer. Have a plan. Do we have a plan for dealing with urgent things? I think it's... I'm sorry? Deacons! There we go. Amen. Deacons are here to help ensure that important things, are, or that urgent things, are taken care of. That's the job of the deacons, is to make sure that all of the things that normally could create some division among the churches are addressed. Why? Who is looking after the important things? Elders, amen. Elders have a very, very important mission. That is to keep the church focused on the right objective. Keep the church organized the way God has created an organization for us to go through. But we can't forget that the plan is already there. Does that make sense? The plan is simply the scripture. We're simply going to follow the scripture. And as long as we follow that scripture, we can stay connected between urgent and important, and we allow the important work to be the focus. That is the objective. We also understand that there are human needs, and as long as we have the deacons and we empower the deacons to do the things that they're supposed to do to deal with urgent stuff, the elders stay focused on the important, and the church doesn't get distracted. Now, do we as a body have also a role to play in this? Amen. What is our role? Stay faithful. Stay connected. Keep God as the number one piece. Yes, please. Ah, there it is. I was hoping somebody would make that connection for me because I didn't want to have to foot stomp that. We as individuals have the most important the most important part in all of the church. What do we as individuals get to do? Witness, find, seek and save the lost. We are the body. We are the ones who others will look to. We're the ones who people will see on a daily basis. I'm a witness at my, where I work only because I'm there. I, people see me on a daily basis. They talk to me. That is how the church wins souls. The church wins against Satan by staying organized and focused on what God taught us to do as a church. We as a body win and save the lost by how we live as individuals. Okay. It's all connected. There are pieces there that go together. And in Revelations, Christ said this, To the angels of the churches of Ephesus, write, These things say he who holds the seven stars in the right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from this place unless you repent. Ephesus was a good church. Ephesus was trying to stay connected. But Ephesus had lost sight of something. Ephesus had lost sight of what was important. The Ephesians had become distracted. They were... They were following the process, but they had become like Cain. They had lost sight that God, our worship with God, that's the key thing that keeps us going. Does that make sense? So again, a lot of this came to me as I was going through class, and I was reflecting on lessons that I heard and great preaching from people like Ricky, who had filled my mind with what was going on and what was important. But it's unfortunate that in our lives, we tend to run across things that get us distracted. As we as individuals get distracted, is it something that we might spill over into the congregation? Do our daily lives impact how things go in the congregation? Do people around us suffer? Do people we know right now have hardships, as I mentioned this morning, earlier today? How do we handle that? How do we as a congregation stay going, even in the midst of all of this onslaught that Satan is throwing our way? How do we do that? Encourage one another. Daily. Daily. Stay connected. Has COVID been a hard time to do this with? Do you think Satan's hand might have been behind COVID just a little bit? I look at the devastation that COVID has created across the entire United States and across the world, and it's it's mind-boggling how easy it was for a simple disease to cause that kind of catastrophic impact. Was it easy to lose sight of what was important because of things that were urgent? Yes. So stay connected to the church, staying connected to others, praying for one another, knowing that we all have each other's back, that helps us keep connected into something called the objective and staying focused on those. Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseeches you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That, in a nutshell, is what the elders are trying to make sure the congregation stay connected. Because if there's warfare going outside the congregation, that's one thing. What's worse than having warfare going on outside of a congregation? Warfare inside of a congregation. If, as a body, we cannot see eye to eye, we will fall apart. Make sense? Do you think Satan knows this? Is that Satan's objective? Satan's number one objective is to isolate, split the church, cause fraction, cause friction within us, and get us fighting each other. Why doesn't Satan attack some some other group? Why doesn't he go after like I don't know, a football team. I mean, why does he have to pick on the church? I mean, I like the Ravens, but are the Ravens going to save anybody? No. Who's out trying to seek and save the lost? What is Satan most afraid of? Satan is afraid of God and his church. Satan is going to have a really hard time against a unified, solid, prayerful church that has one objective. If we stay focused, if we stay connected to the single objective that God has set before us as a congregation, Satan will fail. We as people have to understand that we are dealing with other people. We are all human. We all have failings. We all have things that are urgent and important to us. Collectively, we have to stay aware that the bond of peace, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, is the single most important aspect. That is the objective God wants us to have more than anything, because Satan will do everything he can to disrupt the church, to break the church apart, and as I mentioned, Susan and I have been around, and we've seen, we've seen various congregations. Some are incredibly strong. Lights on a hill that I don't think Satan would even dare cast a shadow on. And we've been members of other congregations that have, <clears throat> have been a struggle. And it really tears your soul to be in a member of a congregation that you know should have Christ in unity and peace as our objective and every day you leave that congregation feeling like you've been in a war zone my fervent prayer despite everything else this congregation will see or as individuals we will experience my fervent prayer is that we never ever lose sight of the objective that is the peace that God provides when we're unified as Christians. I'll leave you this thought. Um, again, I wanted to open up for, con- for conversation. I think this will start some conversation. Matthew 22, But when the Pharisees heard him, or when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees they gathered together, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question and tested him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment under the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If the second is like the first, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. How should we as a congregation
1: treat our neighbors?
0: should we treat our neighbors? Humility. I love that one. Grace. Do we need grace? Do our neighbors need grace? Compassion. Amen. I love those words. I think having an appreciation for where our individual spaces are in the eye-to-eye piece is very important, and eye-to-eye is an excellent starting point because eye-to-eye helps us see each other for where we are. You know who I am and who my faults are, and I can recognize what your strengths and your interests and your talents are, and I can leverage those. The next place after eye-to-eye is heart-to-heart. is where God wants us to be, as a compassionate, caring, loving congregation who understands that there's a world out there that's hurting. We can't take on that world individually. We, as individuals, cannot solve the world's problems. Collectively, heart to heart, God's church can solve anything. One of the interesting parts, I'll give you this thought. One of the interesting parts that I am, I'm picking up about Russia is uh, we as a body cannot understand, we as individuals cannot understand why people in Russia are allowing Putin to do the things that he's doing. If you've been watching news, you know that Russian TV, Russian media, Russian information is night and day from what we as Americans are enjoying. We have the freedom, we have the liberties, we have the ability to explain and talk about things. We can have a church. We can explore things. We can witness to one another without fear. Russia has not had that. Russia has been a society that has been controlled. All information into and fed into the Russians' minds have been controlled for 20 years or more. Even if you count the Soviet Union, it's long before that. This is a time when the world is saying enough. A country that is isolated, a country that cannot have free exchange of information, a country that cannot be witnessed to, needs to stop. If there's a silver lining in all this, countries around the world are waking up and realizing that locking down and preventing the flow of information to include Christianity and the word of gospel creates a situation the world will no longer call it.
1: i saw in uh headline the other day uh switzerland um pulled their neutrality which has how long has switzerland been a neutral nation and they pulled their uh, neutrality on russia you know in the banking economic area and i just sort of sat there with my mind going what i mean Swiss banking pulling this neutrality card out. Uh, you know, I don't even. Know, I, I'm. I'm still kind of going. What did they just do? This is not. I mean, I know it's been longer than I've lived, and I'm not a, that old, <laughs> you know, but. Swiss is, we've always looked at Switzerland as being a neutral, Yep. you know, and for them to do something like this, I think it really pulls, you might say in this connection, God's card saying, okay, devil, this is enough. Satan, we don't want any more of this. Just what you said, you know, about that. um, We've had enough.
0: Yes. As we go forward in in this particular uh lesson what i want to do is take these lessons that we're learning that we're seeing on the big picture um, i did not like i, said, I, I plan on using historical evidences we're going to see some stuff over the next six weeks that i think are going to be heinous to the extreme that we have never seen we're going to see activities and devastation and and hardships that we will we just can't even fathom except for in the old testament and some of the old really ancient things But in light of that, I think we're going to see the world rise up. We are going to see God's hand in this in the next six months. Probably the next six weeks, but definitely over the next six months, we're going to be able to look back and see God's hand was in all of this. Unfortunately, the suffering will go on. But as long as we stay together as a congregation, and we stay united, it doesn't matter what... Villains of sale outside will prevail. Thank you very much for your comments um, again, I am looking forward to having lots of conversation today was kind of a primer for what we're going to be discussing over the next few weeks, but I look forward to having those conversations with you all, thank you very much for. attending. Thanks brother. Allen.